G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How's it going today? Good, thanks, Rowan. How about yourself? Absolutely, yeah. I've, I've got my voice back this week, so uh, no, I'm, it's I'm, good to hear. Absolutely, I'm feeling appreciative and uh, and annoying everyone with the full strength of my voice again. So uh, apologies to everyone around, but at the same time, good to be back on the podcast with me. Uh, with me. Full facilities return this week, Dad, and good to be back for today's episode, which we've called a rewarding release, autobiographical writing. So, Dad, what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, this is about the benefits of writing about an important emotional issue or topic and the benefits of that to your mental health, because there are some quite surprising benefits that people can get from expressing their thoughts and feelings about a particular situation that might have been a tragic loss or a failure or some other distressing situation, a workplace conflict, a relationship breakup, things that have been distressing that might be difficult to process emotionally in some ways. And there's something about the nature of writing about them that can be very healing in some ways. And so this is sometimes used as a supplement to therapy, but even outside of a therapy setting, people can do this themselves. And we'll talk later about particular ways of doing this. But the healing powers that come with writing about an emotional topic. Well, it is a a fascinating topic, I think, in many ways. And I suppose just to highlight the degree to which the healing powers of writing can be present in many ways, I heard during the week that the Nobel-winning author Imre Kurtech, which uh, apologies for my pronunciation there, but Kurtech was someone who won obviously a Nobel Prize, but after writing, after being imprisoned in Auschwitz concentration camp when he was young, and he described that writing was essential to helping him survive. He said that after having written the novel, I've almost stopped thinking about my experience in the concentration camp. It became my character's experience. I'm free and empty. And he was describing his novel Fatelessness, there but I suppose to me like what an extreme example in many ways but at the same time like if someone can come through the experience of a concentration camp like one of the most intensely negative experiences that any humans ever gone through I know Viktor Frankl was another one who wrote extensively after having that experience like if someone can have such an intensely negative experience as that and still talk about the benefits that they get from writing. Well, I suppose to you know extend the metaphor, in many ways it seems that that principle would work for so many other mental health challenges and difficulties as well. Yes, and we often think of writing as being about creativity. And you do get these great writers like Solzhenitsyn. But the thing is, any of us can express ourselves in the written word and likely get benefit from some of the emotional processing that goes with that. It's putting things in a certain kind of perspective. Actually, a little bit related to a recent topic that we had on mentalising, which starts with understanding more about your own thoughts and feelings and intentions. So it's partly about that, but writing can help us understand ourselves better, help us express ourselves better. If people have those creative gifts to write wonderfully well, well, again, good luck to them. But what we're talking about today, you don't need to have those gifts for it still to be effective. 
Well, certainly. And as you say, I think writing in any context can be beneficial. And like, I found it fascinating. It's one of the most interesting quotes I've ever heard, Dad. And I heard it one time when I was watching a documentary and I've since been unable to find the exact audio clip. So if anyone out there has come across this specific piece of audio, please let me know. But basically, it was, it was John Lennon of The Beatles talking about a time that he met Bob Dylan. And they were talking about songs that they'd written. And apparently, Bob Dylan had said... You know, basically after a while, you know, after being a musician for a long time, I realised that all the songs that I'd written about other people were actually about myself. And so it seems that there's an element in writing it all that of course you're going to draw upon some, I suppose, internal reservoir, for lack of a better term, that, you know, inherently it's going to be in some ways a reflection of who we are. But at the same time, it was interesting again to read that I believe, so Shakespeare wrote Hamlet to mourn his son who had died in that year and basically his father was dying at the same time. So it's contended that Shakespeare wrote Hamlet essentially to overcome the, the psychological impact of, of the loss of his son and the impending death of his father. As it was said, he wrote Hamlet to avoid the madness of melancholy. So it seems that Shakespeare maybe did it in a little bit more of a conscious way in terms of maybe deliberately processing the feelings as opposed to Bob Dylan, who was a little bit more unconscious about it. But it seems that writing in general is going to have this aspect of processing emotions and maybe externalising emotions as well. But it seems to me that what we're talking about today, Dad, and maybe some of the distilled benefit can come in maybe that conscious autobiographical writing, in many ways from our own perspective. Yes, and it's interesting also that many researchers might study a particular topic in psychology, for example, or do a doctorate and this enormous thesis and research on an area, and sometimes consciously looking to address something to do with their own life experience, and sometimes unconsciously. People look back and think, wow, I spent years studying this topic thinking I was studying other people, but now I realise how that fits in with my own life history and how I was actually looking to process something in doing that. So as human beings, we're storytellers, aren't we? It's very important, that notion of narrative and what stories we tell ourselves about our lives, about things that have happened, are going to have a big impact on our mental health and well-being. In the long run, it helps to have stories about our lives that are both coherent, meaning they fit together and make sense, but also have a touch of optimism in them. But also, without just sugarcoating it, we want to also be realistic and acknowledge the pain, which is part of life as well. And there's something about writing, even brief writing, that can capture some of these qualities, these healthy qualities of storytelling. Well, certainly, and oh, as you mentioned there, in terms of uh, potentially subconsciously studying something like, not to make an individual comment, but it seems psychologists, Dad, maybe a particular subgroup in society where that's a, a prevalent thing that maybe people have. But I'm interested in that idea of stories in terms of maybe just their importance too, because I think before we get into this, like maybe if we just do touch on that a little bit more, maybe just the impact of stories, because it's one thing to obviously, you know, we all see stories and we all enjoy stories in terms of movies and all this sort of stuff. But I remember learning one time just the degree in a psychological sense of the importance of these stories and these narratives that we tell ourselves. And, you know, in many ways, you know, no one's got a perfect memory, but at the same time, based on our memories, we do almost create these stories about ourselves. Do you want to just maybe speak to that notion about, I suppose, how important stories are for the way that we see ourselves? 
Okay, well, human beings, we're meaning-making animals. A sense of purpose and meaning is very important to us. And how we see the world is more important to our mental health and well-being than the world in some objective way, if you like. So we can look at the world either from an optimistic or a pessimistic perspective or arguably a more neutral kind of perspective. We can sometimes selectively attend to things that have gone poorly or things that have gone well. But also we can have stories that are a little bit muddled or confused or we can have stories that acknowledge pain yet have some kind of uplifting ending and actually they're the stories that are often the most powerful. We can think of that also in terms of movies. Most of the really powerful kind of movies, like say the first Rocky movie, have poignancy in the end. Often people think, oh yeah, the first Rocky movie, yes, he won the boxing fight. Well, no, he didn't. He actually lost it first. But it was about his relationships with other people that was the most uplifting aspect of that story. Then later on, of course, he went to win some fights and all the rest of it. But if you think of the most powerful kind of movies... It's not like they're happy all the way through. Often there's an element of tragedy. It's like the hero's journey, if you like. The person might be lost or confused or really struggling, but then finds a way through in the end, often with good connection with themselves and good connection with other people. And so if we can acknowledge painful experience in our life but have some way of making sense of it, and also, if that allows for some kind of, again, ongoing learning and hope, well, that prepares us also well for the future. It helps our sense of identity. It helps our sense of history. It helps our sense of hope for the future. So a lot of it is to do with, well, we can call it our self-talk, but our larger stories are like a particular type of self-talk that relates to our history, our identity. And it seems to me that the frame or the tone that we put on a story is so important too because, you know, like if we look back at at events that have happened in our life, we're never going to be able to change those events, but we certainly can change the way that we saw them. We can change the story about them. Like, for example, just to, I suppose, make an example off the top of my head here, like it seems to me that an example of how, I suppose, uh, this narrative or story could change for us. For example, I could be in a place where... I just don't get on with the people around me and I don't enjoy it for that time and it's really uncomfortable and I move away from there and I look back on that time and I think, oh, I didn't fit in, no one liked me, it was a a purely negative experience. But then, for example, if you move on to somewhere else that's a lot more positive that you do find people who you connect with in that way, well then, instead of the story just being a purely negative thing where it had no benefits for you, well, it can almost be a bit of that reframe in terms of, well, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, who are the types of people that I do or don't want to be hanging out with, you know, as a step along the journey towards me being where I am now. Like, it just seems to me that, you know, the event in itself is one thing, but this story that we tell ourselves behind it, particularly the frame that we have on it, almost the tone, is one of the more important things. Yes, it's interesting that you use the word reframing because a whole of therapy is about taking a different view or perspective on something, so telling yourself a different story about something. So quite explicitly in cognitive behavioural therapy, we talk about reframing, and a number of therapy techniques would use that particular word. There's also a field of therapy called narrative therapy from the wonderful Australian psychotherapist Michael White. And a lot of what he achieved is helping people have a more uplifting story, even about significant mental illness. For example, many people would have been described 
as having been a schizophrenic. It's altogether different to think of a person with schizophrenia who also has all sorts of strengths and interests and hobbies and relationships and connections and interesting aspects of their history. And a whole lot of what narrative therapy would be is acknowledging a problem but then looking at how you as a person separate from that problem, not as a schizophrenic, but a person dealing with schizophrenia who's also got good family supports maybe, quite a good working history in many ways, might have to work around problems in certain ways and be restricted in certain ways and yet has courage and persistence to deal with that. There can be uplifting stories even when people are in dire situations, hence again the notion of a hero's journey. It doesn't mean that people are on top of things all the time to be able to have an uplifting, meaningful, heartening story about our lives. Well, let's get into this topic of autobiographical writing then, Dad. Like in terms of when we talk about autobiographical writing, like I you know, sit here, for example, as a 29-year-old fella, I'm in no way ready to write my autobiography <laughs> in terms of, you know, there's a, a little way to go before we sit down and do that, if ever. But what do we actually mean by autobiographical writing? Does it actually mean writing an entire anthology of our entire life? Fortunately, it's much briefer than that. It's several sessions of writing for about 20 minutes, for example. So when we talk about autobiographical writing, we're particularly referring to the work of a pioneer in this area, James Pennybaker. And he was from the Southern Methodist University in Texas. And he described a quite practical, specific way of going about this. And actually, I'll refer to the specific instructions that he used. But one example would be writing for about 20 minutes for four weeks in a row, maybe picking one day a week, four weeks in a row, writing for 20 minutes. But it can vary from that. For example, Penny Baker's research and other people working in that area commonly advise people to write for 15 to 30 minutes on three to five occasions. And they could either be on consecutive days or across a couple of weeks or maybe the same day each week for a month. So I think that if people have in mind something between yeah, 15 minutes, half an hour, aiming about 20 minutes, to do that on about four or five occasions and see how that goes. And I'll describe the instructions, the specific instructions that Penny Baker gave. He'd say, for the next three days, or as I said, it could be once a week, I would like for you to write about your very deepest thoughts and feelings about an extremely important emotional issue that has affected you and your life. In your writing, I'd like you to really let go and explore your very deepest emotions and thoughts. You might tie your topic to your relationships with others including parents, lovers, friends or relatives, to your past, your present or your future, or to who you have been, who you would like to be or who you are now. You may write about the same general issues or experiences on all days of writing or on different topics each day. All of your writing will be completely confidential. Don't worry about spelling, sentence structure or grammar. The only rule is that once you begin writing, continue to do so until your time is up. So a few key features about this. One thing is the writing is confidential. No one else needs to see it. You can tear it up afterwards, do whatever you want with it or keep it aside for yourself. 
the thing is it's confidential, so that's the licence, if you like, to really let go in your writing. It's about your deepest emotions and thoughts, and it makes sense to pick a meaningful topic or issue, and that certainly can include something that people still feel quite distressed about that's happened some time ago. Maybe their thoughts or feelings seem a bit stuck about that, something that people feel they haven't processed so well. But it could also be a current workplace conflict or a problem that people are looking to deal with. But it's about a meaningful topic and writing about that on consecutive occasions and then just see how the thoughts and feelings develop and how the story develops about how you write about that again and again and again. So I think for a number of people, it would be of benefit to pick the same story to see how it benefits. But if people would prefer to try other ones, that's okay as well. And I'd also suggest that people start off with something that's maybe not too overwhelming at first, meaningful or challenging in some way. But if there's a topic that you think might be somewhat overwhelming, maybe that's not the best to start with. Maybe it's best to start with something which is concerning. There might be some distress. It might be hard to make sense of it in some way and see how that goes first. And I think if people find that a meaningful exercise, writing about one particular issue or topic or a few different issues, then that's another string to people's bow in terms of a way of processing past events. And so how does, I suppose, it actually work in the sense of, could it be as simple as writing down, you know, this is the issue that I'm sort of dealing with at the moment, I feel sort of dot, 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 and then sort of, you know, go on from there. Or is it a little bit more about, say, like writing a narrative? Or I wonder if you could give a little bit of insight into actually, like, I suppose practically look like what people could write in that situation. Is it just, for example, instead of thinking, we're writing it down on the page? Like, what does it actually look like in terms of what we're writing? Okay, now, one of the good things is you can write about anything at all in any way you like, but I think that there are some tips that could help, especially if a situation has been very distressing or traumatic. Just like in trauma therapy, we encourage people at first to describe the specific situation. What happened as the person remembered it? It might be partly the who, what, when, where, why, those kind of questions, to start off saying something about the situation itself as you remember it, maybe something about the objective situation, so to speak. Now, of course, none of this is completely objective. That's part of the idea of autobiographical writing. It's our take or our perspective on it. But I think if people start off with some kind of facts or events or a context, then I think what's likely to happen is it'll start to evolve more where different reactions will come up. Now, we're talking about an emotional topic or issue. And as Penny Baker encouraged people to do, we're talking about letting go and exploring your deeper emotions and thoughts about it. So I think that as people start to write, just like in a therapy setting when people describe a very challenging or traumatic situation, then as people continue to describe it, different thoughts and feelings come up different reactions come to the fore. I think it's going with that and allowing some unfolding and probably a deepening of the kind of thoughts and feelings that do come up. So I'd say start off with a bit of context would often be helpful and then increasingly allow the deeper thoughts and feelings to come up, in a sense, uncensored. It is really letting go and not inhibiting too much 
what someone might say. It's letting it unfold to a degree because then there can be more comparison. If you're comparing a third or fourth time, writing about the same kind of event or story, the chances are there's going to be a development of that. And I think that will mean even more if people have been somewhat spontaneous and letting it unfold and going to the deeper thoughts and feelings. Well, I heard um, oh, I heard this from quite a, an interesting source recently, Dad. Oh, we actually had uh, Harry Taylor, the former Geelong Cats player and now Geelong Cats coach on the Cats podcast recently. And he made a really interesting point. He spoke about the fact that he has journaled his entire career, basically after every game, after every training session. He'll write a small reflection on what he's done, how he did it, sort of how he felt about it, all this sort of stuff. And he made the point that the reason that he did that was because I think he cited some research, and you know, not to distrust Harry's research, but I haven't seen it myself, but uh, I think the research said that we think at about a 1,000 words per minute, we speak at about 150 words per minute, and we write at about 40 or 50 words per minute. So to me, that suggests that like, if you're thinking in your head a 1,000 words per minute, like you can contain a lot of complexity of thought and all that, in those, you know, a thousand words sort of thing. But then when it comes to actually writing it down on a page, well, then you've got to concise it down to essentially 40 or 50 words per minute. Like essentially you're putting those thoughts through a bit of a meat grinder and it's got to go through this absolute bottleneck to come out with what your writing is at the end. And like it seems to me that process of concising things down, almost distilling our thoughts... Quite often, you know, you can write something or even say something at times, but particularly with writing, I think you can read it and you kind of go, hold on, I'm just barking up the wrong tree in terms of the way that I was thinking about that one. But it just seems that this process of externalising things, getting them out of your head, it's not as if it's a direct swap in terms of, you know, we're going to be able to get a thousand words per minute out of our head onto the paper but at the same time, we do have to almost think about curating it in a way or, or just distilling down to, I suppose, a, a more simple, concise, easy to understand, I suppose, version of our own thoughts in a way. Yes, and what you're describing there is an intensely reflective and thoughtful process, which will be part of what's helpful about it. And as you described there, any kind of journaling or diarising helps that stepping back from a situation and reflecting on it to some extent. But with this autobiographical writing as we're describing it, it's encouraging going toward the emotions, the deeper emotions and feelings. And there's something about that as you're describing that curating on a page that also has some of the benefits of trauma therapy where people are looking to contain their experience in some ways. Like writing something within the confines of a page it takes something which is so complex and could go anywhere if you like and it ends up contained within the four sides of a page or a number of pages. It's also a bit like children painting a picture of a bushfire or a flood or a traumatic situation that impacted on their family and what's depicted is contained within the four sides of a page. Some of that containment is helpful. There's a reflection, there's a containment and there are a number of other specific benefits as well that we'll talk about shortly. Well, yeah, and 
just before we get into exactly what those benefits are, like, yeah, just to further highlight your point there, like, it seems to me, you know, every benefit that I've got from riding in this sort of sense, like, it seems that there's such an element of taking the heat out of something, you know, like, you can be thinking about something and almost in the, you know, recesses of your own mind, you can find yourself thinking about something and think, oh, I better not go down there, you sort of thing, you know, you know, it's not the time to be thinking about that. But at the same time, if you, I suppose you're a little bit more deliberate about it and you're writing about it, well, for example, you could put it in a book and you know leave it hidden on a bookcase where you literally don't have to carry it around with you. Like I found it so interesting, the language that the Nobel Prize winning author, Kurtech, who I mentioned at the start of the podcast, used in terms of being free and empty. Like it wasn't as if he you know didn't live with the experiences that I'm sure would have still would have been equally as vivid but at the same time, it's not as if the intensity of that was something that was controlling him at all times. He was able to, I suppose, externalise those feelings, you know, see them on the page in front of him and it would have given him a completely different, I suppose, yes, perspective about what he was writing about. Yes, and that's a very important point about taking the heat out of reactions that they can seem less intense after having expressed about them, which is often the opposite of what people fear. People often fear that if they are to acknowledge certain kind of thoughts or feelings or memories, they'll be overwhelmed by them. Whereas a lot of trauma therapy involves an element of what we call exposure. People deliberately going back to the experience and reliving the experience in a certain kind of way, hopefully in a supportive, contained environment in some way. Well, this exercise provides the containment itself. Yeah, around about a 20-minute period. Doing it at a time that suits, in a setting that suits and writing about a topic that you've decided on to some extent beforehand, that provides some kind of containment. But often what we find is when people, for example, talk about a hot topic in a therapy situation, or when people confide to a friend about a distressing situation, or when people write, rather than just heating up the topic and leaving people with these intense feelings that have been brought to the surface it does tend to allow for some kind of processing where people feel more freed up afterwards. Well, it does seem that that, I suppose, shifting in reactions, that ability to process things further and and take some of the heat out of a negative situation, like that seems to be a, an absolutely huge benefit of autobiographical writing. But I wonder if we get into maybe some of what the other benefits are. Like what else are some of the things that you look at as a psychologist and say these are some of the things that make it, you know, an, a really worthwhile experience? Okay, well, there'll be about four or five things that to me stand out that overlap with benefits of psychological therapy, again, that people can get from this simple exercise to some extent. Well, it's starting off acknowledging a problem in the first place. It's identifying something meaningful to yourself that might not have been fully processed. Now, I think that's an advantage in itself. So it's, in a sense, setting an intention to process something a little bit more fully and further. Now, because people are writing about an emotionally meaningful topic, it means that people are not suppressing their feelings about it. Now, we know that when people tend to inhibit or suppress or block thoughts or feelings about a conflict situation, it tends to get somewhat worse. And that comes up with many psychological reactions involving anxiety, like certain kinds of obsessive-compulsive thoughts or reactions or certain kinds of phobic responses. Sometimes it's involving people trying not to think about things in a certain way or not to experience discomfort in a certain kind of way. And when people try and block 
unwanted feelings, it tends to make it worse rather than processing it more. So that's one aspect, just the writing itself. It's reducing the suppression or inhibition so that avoidance of painful feelings often tends to make things worse. Well, it seems to me that one of the major things about that is without this tool, like basically the only way to you know, externalise our thoughts in that situation would be to talk about someone with. And so it seems to me that unless we have that you know, kind of intimate person, unless we have that friendship or relationship that we're on that level with, well, we're potentially not going to have that outlet in the same way. And so it seems that on top of everything that you're saying there, one of the other benefits from that is that you don't have to, for example, show people or you know, talk to someone about it or you know, it can remain private yet still be something you know, where we're getting out there. It's not as if we're just holding it in our head. Yes, and it's useful enough that even if people are in a therapy relationship, sometimes they will also write. More commonly early on in therapy, maybe even to get some information to the therapist or to remind themselves of things that they want to discuss. But it can be at other stages of therapy as well, and it can also be an exercise that we use as part of trauma therapy to help people process a past event. But yes, so certainly that reducing inhibition or suppression can help. And what else? What are some of the other benefits of autobiographical writing? Well, one of the main things that you notice is as people are dealing with challenging situations and particularly trauma memories, post-traumatic stress reactions, what you notice is people's stories become more coherent. People are able to describe the events around a car accident or an assault or a natural disaster but particularly something that happens suddenly where maybe their life was threatened, at first when people tell their story, it can seem quite fragmented. It can jump a bit all over the place. People might get stuck with their emotion while they're relating the story. Now, what you notice in therapy, and this can also happen in autobiographical writing when people write from one time to the next, the story tends to become more coherent. It tends to have more of a beginning, a middle and an end and tend to make some kind of sense that broadly fits the facts of the situation. While still acknowledging the person's thoughts and feelings, it's a more coherent story. And one of the things that the research shows, if people write a number of times using this technique, if the story becomes more coherent, there are a number of benefits that come from that, the physical and mental health benefits. Well, what are those benefits? I think it's probably worth touching on those now. Okay, well, surprisingly, there are physical health benefits as well as mental health benefits. Some of the mental health benefits are this kind of strategy tends to help people's mood and their general well-being, even their social adjustment, how they're relating to other people. But it's also been found to reduce visits to the doctor with people who are doing this kind of experiment, improved immune functioning, so they measured that physiologically in different ways, including things like lowered heart rate, reduced muscle tension. So it's actually having an impact on people's mental and physical health. And a number of students who engaged in this exercise, relative to those who didn't, they instead wrote about just superficial topics. The students who wrote about meaningful topics that also indirectly related to their studies, they actually ended up with better grade point averages. So there are a whole range of benefits, but particularly improved mood, well-being, and some of that lasted for an extended period afterwards. 
Well, I think that's fascinating, particularly about, for example, students getting better grade point averages. I also believe professionals who were laid off from a job and were writing about their feelings during that experience basically found jobs quicker and reported less alcohol use during the time that they were laid off. So like, it seems that the you know, benefits are extensive from some of this stuff. Yeah, and it's quite remarkable because there are unexpected benefits, I would have thought. I would not have anticipated it would have an impact on people's vocational functioning or studies or their physical health as much as the mental health. You can understand that. But I suppose the thing that does make the most intuitive sense, and this is also something people get from therapy or talking to a trusted friend or we talked in the last episode about talking with a mentor, people are going to gain more insight and understanding generally. So that's going to be a benefit in itself. Again, it's storytelling. It's about understanding and accepting ourselves, having a degree of hope, looking to the future. It helps if we have an integrated understanding of ourselves. So I think this exercise is a wonderful exercise, adding to that theme of mentalising we talked about recently. The more we understand ourselves in terms of our thoughts and feelings and intentions, and we can put that in the context of our experiences and our lives, well, that's going to help our well-being. Oh, thanks for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. It's, oh, it's such an interesting topic in so many ways. And I must admit, there was probably a little while there where maybe after school, sort of in my late teens, early 20s, where I, I would have thought that these activities were maybe a little bit contrived at times. And, you know, you think maybe back to your English class at school and... You know, not necessarily the most enjoyable activity that we would have done, but uh, certainly going through it today, like there's so many benefits in it. I think not just when we're, you know, feeling down, when we're going through something, when we've got sort of a distressing thing to write about. Like one of the things that's really stood out for me today is, well, like I really like poetry, Dad. And as they say, one of the, the functions of poetry is to make the normal seem strange. It's to be able to look at ordinary things in a new way. And it seems to me that there's an element of, autobiographical writing which you know that's kind of inherent in terms I think they call it defamiliarization in terms of you know when we write about things and you know look at things in a new way it just helps to I suppose open up our perspective to consider things in a new way and and it seems to me that yeah like that's one thing I really like about poetry and I think that's that's one of the things that poetry does but it seems that autobiographical writing and, and doing it for ourselves is in many ways a little bit more of a distilled version in terms of our own life narrative, our own experiences. There's great poems out there that other people have written about, you know, all these profound ideas in life, Dad, but I think when it's our own ideas and we've got the ability to write about whatever we want, well, then that maybe gives us a an extra level of freedom to be able to explore certain elements of our own perspective and our own experiences and and from what we've spoken about today it just seems to me that you know there's so many benefits to that even beyond mental health challenges obviously there's great benefits in that but even just in terms of getting to know ourselves and exploring our personalities and gaining more insight into you know who we are and and as you say these aspects of mentalization that we've spoken about over the last couple of podcasts and I must admit how we've spoken about it the last few weeks dad I, I reckon they'll keep coming up these ideas to do with mentalization because it seems to be a central part of psychology and what we've spoken about today seems a good way to interface with that. Yes, a deceptively helpful exercise. And in some ways it might seem a bit contrived, but that's where it gives a structure. And I think, like you say, it can help people see things in a new way, just as in therapy people hear themselves talk and they notice things in a different way about their experience. And 
this notion as people let go in a more uninhibited, if you like, kind of way, then people can notice what they write and over time. So again, the structure, say about four or five times, it could be on consecutive days or apart, there's some advantages to doing it, say, once a week. So you extend it over a period of time, about 20 minutes. If you find that the writing's going fairly well, going on for about half an hour, just fine. Now, if people listening apply this exercise and see how that goes for you, if you have a particular kind of experience with it, then please write to us and let us know how it's gone. So we'd be very interested to hear any feedback about how people have found this simple, practical technique, but it's got a lot to it. Certainly, and we do have the email address for the podcast, which both Dad and I are accessible at, at podcast at chrismackey.com.au. So feel free to hit us up with, as you say, Dad, some stories about how people have gone with their own writing. But anything, if if you've got any questions or you just want to reach out in any way, please do send us a message on that email. And we've got the email address for the podcast at psychspiels.com.au. I know you've got some uh, instructions for the uh, writing task that you've mentioned today, Dad, that you do want to put up on that resources page. So we'll do that with all the other episodes up there. But thanks so much for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. I've enjoyed it and... Well, I'm going to have to see how I go with my own writing over the next little while. As I said, I've been enjoying some poems recently, but I might have to look to distill down some of this sort of stuff, even just for my own benefit. Sounds very good, Rowan, and I'll be interested to see if you keep your voice. It's a top two teams tomorrow night, Melbourne playing Geelong in Geelong, so my prediction is you might lose your voice again tomorrow night. (laughs) Exactly. So if we're not back next week on the podcast, that's why. (laughs) 